Good evening, Jets fans. Good good early evening, I guess. A little bit earlier for tonight's show. 5 p.m. start. We may go a little long. Not 100% sure on that yet. For those of you keeping up with us on Twitter uh, and our Facebook page and through JetNation.com, you will have seen that we are scheduled to have New York Daily News Jets beat writer Manish Mehta joining us at some point during the program. And as per usual, um, for those of you who have been listening regularly over the last few months, you will know that Christian Dyer, uh, another regular who joins us from Metro New York, and Christian is a – we're going to list him as questionable tonight. Um, had a brief conversation with him earlier, and he is, he is about a 50-50 chance, so he may be on, he may not. But um, either way, we, as always, we appreciate Christian's efforts to, to get on the air with us and talk Jets football. So we're going to cover a, a wide variety of topics this evening, and I don't know about you guys, but I'll tell you what, um, it, it's starting to feel real now that the season is coming, and we're just uh, just a couple more weeks without without any any you know any stories we can really dig our teeth into. The speculation ends, and the actual preseason starts. Well, training camp leading into the preseason here in a very short while. So, as I said, it's, uh, I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, this is uh, some pretty exciting stuff. We, were, we heard back from the Jets today. We will be on the sidelines again this year at training camp, um, covering camp from Florham Park, so we're looking forward to that. But uh, more on that later on, because as I said, we are joined today by New York Daily News beat writer Manish Mehta, who I believe is with us live now. Manish, are you there? I'm here. How are you? Doing really good, doing excellent. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for for giving your time, Manish. I know that uh, you have a busy schedule, but of course, this time of year maybe maybe a bit a bit slower than, than the rest of the year, as many of us know. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not plenty, you know, plenty of questions surrounding the Jets and plenty of topics to talk about. Um, starting starting with the obvious, um, something that's been talked about, obviously even before before the draft. Because, I mean, let's face it, we all knew the Jets were going with a quarterback. Uh, it was just a matter of who, as it turned out to be Sam Darnold. But um, a lot of Jets fans are liking what they're hearing. The Jets seem to be saying all the right things, whether it's Todd Bowles or Jeremy Bates or Josh McCown. Plenty of praise for Sam Darnold, his preparation, his dedication. And I think the Jets fans are getting the feeling, and this is probably what happens when, when you take a guy at three overall, but this is going to be a legitimate quarterback competition and um, do you, do you get the feeling that if Sam Darnold plays well enough that they're gonna they're gonna take off the the gloves right away and let him get on the field, or do you think they'll look at this sort of you know as I discussed last week this early stretch of three games in in eleven days followed by a defense like Jacksonville? Do you think he has a shot to start from day one, or or, or well I guess he does have a shot. How, how realistic do you think that is? Well, look, I'll say what I've been saying for the last couple months, which is uh, I know that Sam Darnold and Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater are all on the roster, but this competition is really Sam Darnold versus Sam Darnold. And if he proves to Jeremy Bates and Todd Bowles that he's ready to be an NFL starting quarterback over 
you know, the the four weeks of training camp and preseason, then he will be under center when they begin Monday night in uh, in Detroit. So I don't think the Jets. In fact, I know the Jets aren't looking at the schedule and and saying, well, you know, they're they're going to play a, a condensed uh, amount of games in those first uh, what uh, week and a half, two weeks, whatever it is, and then have a tough game. Uh, with Jacksonville after that, they're not looking at it that way, nor do I think they should look at it that way, because if this kid is going to be your franchise quarterback, then he's going to be a franchise quarterback. If he's going to be ready, then you throw him in there, and if he's going to absorb some growing pains, which everybody would anticipate that he would, then so be it, because ultimately this season is about developing him and, and getting him as much playing time as possible without rushing him. And it is a fine line. You don't want to throw him in there if he's not ready. And I can't tell you, frankly, on July 10th whether he is ready. I don't think Jeremy Bates or Todd Bowles could tell you that either. What I can tell you is that everybody in the building is exceedingly pleased with what they have seen from Darnold in this first month and a half uh, OTAs. They're in shorts, obviously. But uh, the learning process right now for him is so critical because they, they mean the coaches and the front office, get a window into what we don't get a window into unless you talk to them, which is how is he progressing in terms of understanding the concepts that Bates wants to run, uh, adjusting in practice, bouncing back from mistakes that he's made in practice. And those are all critical elements at this early stage of the game. And they're going to get a much better grasp of where he is when they throw him into these preseason games. And I know they're, you know, vanilla defenses that he's going to face, nothing exotic, nothing ultra complicated, but it's still a step up from practicing in shorts and T-shirts with your teammates. So that is really the next stage. The Jets can't give a definitive answer whether he is going to be ready, but if he does show enough in training camp, but more specifically in the first couple preseason games, that he's equipped to to be an NFL starting quarterback in week one. They're going to do that. They're not going to hesitate. And, and I know that, you know, maybe you could look at the Giants, for example, when Eli Manning was a starting quarterback as a, as a rookie midway through the season. You could look at that as a template where they had Kurt Warner start, what, uh, maybe seven, eight games, whatever it was, before they turned it over to Eli Manning. The Jets do have that luxury with Josh McCown in theory, but just because they have that luxury doesn't mean they're going to exercise it and utilize it because, again, it's Darnold versus Darnold. If he can prove that he is ready, he's really competing against time here. If he can prove that he is ready in August, then when September rolls around, he's going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, I've I've been saying for a couple months now because there are the fans that have said, you can't rush him, you can't rush him. And, and I, I think a lot of people realize that there is no one way to build a quarterback. You see the success guys like Carson Wentz and Andrew Luck have right off the bat, and then you see guys like Aaron Rodgers who does well after sitting for a while. I, I agree 100% that if he's ready, there's no reason not to play him. I will say, though, one, and this, this kind of leads me into my next question, and I, I said it last week on the air, is that I, do, I, I have become enamored with the idea of maybe playing Bridgewater early if he impresses and maybe drive up that trade value. If you can let him start your first three, four games and drive up his value. If he's not traded before, then he could be traded during training camp. But I, I think in the end he does get traded. I don't think you keep you, you keep a, a young quarterback of his caliber who's only on a one-year deal and and pass up on the opportunity to get something in exchange for him. So I agree that if Donald's ready, no issue playing him right away. 
but Teddy Bridgewater is that big question mark because when was the last time really the Jets had a quarterback on the roster that other teams coveted enough to give up a, a premium draft pick, which could happen if Teddy Bridgewater lights it up early on. Um, what would you say the chances are um, if you had to put a percentage on it? And, again, we know it's early. But what are the chances of Teddy Bridgewater playing, the full, playing this full season with the Jets? Well, it's an interesting dynamic because if, if the Jets had contractual control over him for uh, beyond 2018, I think it would be much more practical to think that they could get a premium draft pick. And when NFL scouts and front office and executives uh, talk about premium, they're talking about first three rounds. That's how they define mm-hmm. the term premium draft pick. So you're not going to get, in all likelihood, a premium draft pick for a quarterback who is scheduled to be an undrafted, uh, unrestricted free agent in 2019. It's a one-year deal, so obviously if you're a team that's interested in getting a quarterback through because of injury, if a starter goes down in the early portion of training camp or during the preseason, or whether you just want to shore up your backup spot, then uh, you know Bridgewater is enticing. However, if you want to have him and have designs of him being your quote-unquote franchise quarterback beyond 2018, you have to think about the two-step process here. You've got to give up a draft pick, and then you've got to sign him to a long-term deal. You're not going to give up a second- or third-round draft pick for a one-year rental. So that that complicates the issue. What, what you said earlier is interesting about Bridgewater playing well in the preseason, really helping out the Jets' cause, because at that point other teams could see that, hey, you know what, he is headed down the right track because so far – Look, I've seen him have great days. I think he had one bad day. I want to say it was the second day of minicamp in which he threw three interceptions. But, uh, you know, I've had a limited sample size in seeing him. But what I have seen is a guy who has been able to move around very effectively, a high IQ quarterback that shouldn't be a surprise because just because he hurt his knee doesn't take away the intellect that he had before he got injured. And he had a reputation of being a very smart, cerebral player. So you can see that in terms of decision-making. And just talking to people inside the organization about how he has done in practice from a mental standpoint uh, convinces me that uh, he's got the, you know, he's got the, uh, the football smarts to, to still be a franchise quarterback. The question with Bridgewater, which isn't a surprise to anyone, is how will his knee hold up to contact? The Jets don't know that. Nobody in the front office knows that. Nobody uh, on the sidelines, whether it's a player or a coach, definitively knows, knows that. What I will say is that, look, Minnesota, uh, specifically Zimmer, came out in the offseason and said that, you know, visually speaking, he didn't notice anything that slowed down Teddy Bridgewater, but upon consulting the Vikings medical staff, there was some trepidation about his long-term health uh, and his long-term viability because of the knee injury, and I think that's a, you know, a, probably a, a fair way of characterizing it. You know, I, I don't know how long Teddy Bridgewater is going to play in the NFL. I mean, for his sake, uh, I hope he plays a very long time. He's an extremely bright kid, a really engaging guy, and a guy who's overcome a lot. And you know, if you're a football fan, regardless of whether you're a Jets fan or a Vikings fan, but if you're a football fan, you want a person like that to succeed. So I hope he's got a long and, and prosperous future. I don't know that, and I know that the Jets are cautiously optimistic that when he gets into the preseason games that he is going to be sturdy enough from a physical standpoint to withstand the rigors of getting hit, and uh, and hopefully that maintains throughout the season, whether it's with the Jets or with another team. But it's a 
it's really an interesting equation here, an interesting dynamic, because everybody had a chance to get Teddy Bridgewater in the offseason, and the Jets got him for a pretty nominal price. We're talking about a, a very little uh, financial commitment in total, $5 million, very little up front, 500000 and then they gave him another 500000 mm-hmm. for the offseason workout. So really a $1 million commitment before training camp even begins, and that's, you know, that's peanuts in today's NFL. Uh, I think my gut tells me that he's going to play well, in the preseason, uh, but not so much better than Sam Darnold where you, you'll turn to Bridgewater to be your week one starter. That being said, I've been told from people inside the building that if Bridgewater does light it up in the preseason and Darnold looks like he needs more seasoning, then Bridgewater will be the starting quarterback week one. That's a big if, of course, but they're not closing their doors to having Bridgewater be their week one starter. They're keeping all their options open, as you would expect a smart team to do. Uh, I, there's just so many variables at this point. Does Darnold play great? Because if he plays great, it doesn't really matter what Bridgewater or McCown mm-hmm. does. You're not really going to see McCown. I think the blueprint you're going to see in the preseason uh, is going to be very similar to what you saw a year ago where yep. you came in the training camp, McCown's your, uh, your starter entering training camp. He gets the lion's share of reps maybe for that first week or so of training camp. When the first preseason game starts, maybe Darnold plays that first series like you saw last year, and then he takes a back seat to the two guys uh, who are also uh, beneath him uh, on, on the depth chart. Last year, obviously, it was Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg. This year, it's going to be Darnold and Bridgewater getting the lion's share of reps in the preseason, and then before the fourth preseason game, the Jets will make a determination you know, is Bridgewater or Darnold ready to be the starting quarterback? Because if not, like last year, then they will turn back to Josh McCown. But he's really their safety net. They, they want Darnold to win the job. They're not going to force feed the issue. And if he doesn't look like he's ready to win the job or ready to be a starter and Bridgewater looks like the Teddy Bridgewater we saw before he hurt his knee, then don't be surprised if Bridgewater's the starting quarterback. So, again, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts. Would they like to flip him for uh, a third or fourth round draft pick? at some point in training camp or the preseason? Uh, I think the answer to that, in fact, I know the answer to that is absolutely, which would be ironic because a couple years ago the Eagles traded away their starting quarterback, Sam Bradford, for a a premium pick to Minnesota after Bridgewater got hurt, and maybe now Bridgewater can play the role of Sam Bradford being dealt to a a quarterback-needy team. But, again, we don't know what teams are going to suffer injuries at the quarterback position. I look at it like, uh, you know, that's, not likely to happen. That Minnesota situation with Bridgewater a couple of years ago I think was an aberration that typically doesn't happen. I think what's more likely is that if there's a team that believes that they're willing to contend uh, and or, you know have the, the talent to contend but have a cavernous hole at the number two quarterback spot, then maybe you would see a team who wants Bridgewater to be the backup to make a move and, and an offer for, the, for his services to the Jets. Yeah, and I think that's why uh, the, the team we've seen thrown around quite a bit is Jacksonville. With the Blake Bortles situation, when you look at how good that defense is, that, that's the type of team that could probably win with Teddy Bridgewater. And um, But one guy you mentioned earlier, uh, and a key guy, obviously, this season, and, and with, with things looking as bright as they are with having Darnold on board and a, another good young quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater, I don't really want to look backwards, but there is one issue that, that, that you know, one thing that occurred this offseason that still sticks with me a little bit, and we now have Jeremy Bates, again, who you mentioned is going to be working with these guys. But, but the John Morton firing, um, still, uh, just in terms of stability, I know there's a new quarterback, but there still would have been a little more continuity on offense if he'd come back. If the reports are true that he was fired because he wasn't implementing 
the type of game plans Todd Bowles wanted. I understand from a perspective that you can't not do what your boss tells you and not be – you can't be insubordinate and not expect to be let go. But I think it was surprising that it was Todd Bowles being upset the Jets didn't run the ball more when we saw how bad that offensive line was up front, um, especially up the middle with Carpenter, Winters, and Johnson, where they were just terrible up the gut. Um, do, do you think it would have been beneficial to keep John Morton around? And if not – did they do the right thing in bringing, bringing in a guy who really only has a year, year and a half, depending on, you know, how you want to uh, consider his job in Denver, where, you know, the, I think a lot of people believe that's really Mike Shanahan calling the plays. But even if we say it was Bates, he's got two years as a coordinator, and you're bringing him on to, to develop this guy who's supposed to be, you know, this is your blue-chip elite quarterback who you want to lead you for the next 10, 15 years. Well, I'll say this. Uh, Jeremy Bates was heavily involved in the game planning last year. Uh, now, obviously, John Morton in-game makes adjustments and, and does what he thinks uh, uh, is the right thing to do. But speaking to people in the building all of last year, uh, I knew, uh, and I think I've said this before, that uh, people in the building were fully aware that the smartest offensive coach on that staff with Jeremy Bates, and that's look. That's not a slight to to John Morton. It's just the reality is that Jeremy Bates course, was yeah. respected as the the brightest guy on the offensive side on Bowles' staff. Uh, and I even spoke to Mike Shanahan this off season about that one year in which uh, Bates. Uh, I don't think he had the title of offensive coordinator, but he called the plays uh, under Shanahan at a, at a very young age as well. So you know, I picked uh, Shanahan's brain about why. He would uh, do that, especially a younger player, a younger coach, I should say. And uh, so, you know, let's let's be clear that the year that Bates was the play caller, he actually was the play caller. It wasn't, uh, you know, any kind of title, uh, and he was kind of in the background. He actually was the quarterback's coach, play caller. He's, he's a brilliant mind. Now, look, this guy was away from football for a couple of years, and, and last year when they brought him aboard as a quarterback's coach, I, you know, that was a big story about uh, why he left and what he has learned in his time off. And, and from everything I know about Jeremy Bates and talking to people who have known him for a very long time, I think when you get older, you, you understand that maybe not everybody uh, around you has the, you know, has the, you know, sees things a certain way. It, you know, the common phrase is a guy doesn't suffer fools, which means to, in layman's terms, you know, if you're not as bright as he is or you don't really get a concept or a point as quickly as he does, he might shut you off. If you have uh, the ability to operate on a very high intellectual, in terms of football, intellectual level, he can really relate to you and really thrive and bring the best out of you. Uh, you know, that that was Jeremy Bates as a, as a younger coach. He is older now. I think he understands that not everybody learns at the same level. Not everybody's going to have the you know the high football IQ as he does and he's able to adapt and and uh, change uh, and tailor his coaching to to each specific person which is obviously an invaluable and, and frankly necessary component to be a great coach in this league so uh, i think the time off from football served him extremely well he got a different perspective on on a lot of things that matter to him and uh and this, in terms of how it relates to his job how he can change his 
coaching style, I, I guess. And he hasn't lost his passion. Anybody who knows him and anyone, frankly, who has been around him this summer and sees him during these practices knows that the guy is high energy, uh, you know, is, has an extreme passion for football and extreme passion for teaching people. And if you see him interact with Sam Darnold, for example, you know, during these OTAs and, and minicamp, you know that at least your gut feeling is that this guy is the right guy to teach this young quarterback and because of his broad base of knowledge, the right guy to be the play caller. Because, again, he had a extremely important role last year that was underplayed. It wasn't talked about, really written about much. But he wasn't just the quarterback's coach a year ago. He had a significant hand in uh, helping John Morton. And in terms of Morton, and uh, why he only lasted a year, I, I think just the lack of, of a commitment to the run was the primary reason. Uh, and you're right, you know, there were some deficiencies clearly uh, on along the offensive line, specifically in the interior of the offensive line, uh, and even more specifically at center. And I think they've addressed that issue, at least improved that area. But again, even if you're not running the ball particularly well in, in a game, within the course of the game, I think that the idea of getting away from it so quickly and leaning on the pass, and you you know, that shouldn't be a surprise given Morton's background with Sean Payton uh, in uh, in New Orleans, but I, I think that was a big uh, area of concern for Todd Bowles, and that's why he felt that he needed to move away from that, but not completely away uh, from some of those concepts and so he made the in-house promotion. Jeremy Bates is a guy that he wanted to promote all along, and it was really a matter of whether Bates felt that you know, he was ready uh, you know, after only one year back after taking that break to be an offensive coordinator again because uh, I, I think given the tools and given uh, the pieces, uh, the proper pieces, I should say, I think Bates can be a, a very good play caller. And, and you're right, look, it, it's a small sample size, one year in Seattle, one year in in uh, in Denver, and I can tell you that he wasn't fired in Seattle because of anything from a football perspective in terms of being a bad play caller. I think it was more, again, about relating to people around you, understanding that you got to be a little bit more flexible in your thinking, a little bit more open to the idea that, hey, you might have to explain something a little bit differently to this person, whether it's a coach or a player. And, uh, look, when you're a younger guy and a really smart, bright guy, a son of a coach, you can rub people the wrong way if, if you know, you don't think that they get what you get. And I think you see that with a lot of younger coaches. Uh, I mean, a perfect example uh, that comes to mind for me is Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan had a longstanding reputation, very much like Jeremy Bates, a really bright guy, but he would turn you off if you didn't get it or if, if you were a few steps behind. And I think as he has gotten older as a coach, uh, he has adapted as well, and now – Along with Sean McVay, I would say that Kyle Shanahan is regarded as one of the you know top two or three young coaches, head coaches in this league. Well, I mean that, that's a great answer. I real I really, as a Jets fan, couldn't have hoped for better to be honest. Because when, when we see these small sample sizes, as as you said and as I mentioned, it, it for me as a fan that's a little bit worrying. And especially when you have a guy who was away from the game for a few years, you start to wonder, you know, why did he only last a year in Seattle? Why, why weren't more teams banging down his door to get him in the, in the three, four years he was away? Um, and why wasn't he the, the offensive coordinator right away with the Jets? And I think that was one report, and I honestly can't recall where I saw it, but there was talk of, you know, the Jets waiting to, 
to name him the coordinator because they wanted to know if he was interested in, in that position. And you start to wonder, is, is there a commitment thing? Is he, is he not fully invested? But um, based on what you're saying, if the, you know, from what you're hearing from people who have worked with him and people that he has worked for, that, that's about as, as good as you can hope for. So, you know, moving forward with him, I mean, if the Jets find the answer at, at quarterback and coordinator at simultaneously, that's, that's not the type of thing this franchise runs into because it, it seems like there's a new OC every 18 to 24 months. <laughs> um, but, but staying on the offensive side of the ball, one thing I've spent uh, a, a lot of time talking about this offseason, some people, uh, I think most people agree in general, um, the depth that they have right now with the receiver position. Um, of course, there are some questions with Quincy Nunez's health um, and things like that, but, and, and Terrell Pryor. But just from top to bottom, um, even you know, if one of those guys were to go down, even if you have you know, Pryor or Nunez with the rest of that group, with Curse and Anderson, and, and you know, it looks like Hanson is coming on, how good can this group be? Because to me, this is an ideal situation for a young quarterback. That, you know, when you're going three wide, four wide, five wide, you should be able to create some mismatches somewhere on the field. How do you feel about this group as a whole? So I've always said this philosophically, uh, you know, your wide receiver group is really only as good as your best wide receiver. Do you have a true number one? Because if you do have a true number one, that really opens up a world of opportunities for your number two, for your slot guy, your tight end, your running back out of the backfield. If defenses have to pay attention to one guy, and alter their defensive scheme uh, that gives so many different chances to everybody else. There's a ripple-down effect, and then statistically that would show that your number two receiver, your slot guy, you know, tight end, running back out of the backfield, all those guys benefit because you have one player that a defensive coordinator has to account for on every play. The Jets don't have that. They do have what you said, depth. You know, there are some quality players. Robbie Anderson, to me, is a quality player. He's really going to have to – grow his game and develop his game to the point where he is more than just a vertical threat, and it looks like he has uh, taken steps toward doing that, uh, at least in the minds of the coaches. I know that they're pleased with his, uh, you know, his effort to try to vary his game so he's just not running go routes all the time, and, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. You need someone to take the top off the of defense, without a doubt. But if he truly wants to be a number one wide receiver in this league, and I don't know if he can be. Maybe he tops off as a, as a number two. But if he wants to diversify his portfolio, for lack of a better phrase, he's going to have to uh, show uh, that he can do a lot of the grunt stuff, a lot of the dirty work, a lot of the, you know, the inside-the-number stuff. That I think he's capable of doing. You know, he's he's a bean pole, of course, but uh, he's got a tremendous skill set. So he's got a lot of ability. Quincy Anuma, to me, is a guy who should be, uh, at least on paper, he should be able to thrive in, a, in an offense that Jeremy Bates devises because he can do so many different things. He has shown flashes in a different offense, albeit, but he has shown flashes of being a really productive player after catching the ball. His yards after the catch a couple of years ago were tremendous. He's a tough player. He's a an exceptional blocker, which helps out in the run game. That's an underplayed part of being a wide receiver, but still a pivotal part. So I think that if he is healthy, and I would anticipate he would be healthy. I had a really good talk with him in the off season, and this this neck issue that he had really surfaced his second year. It didn't just pop up the last off season like many people. I did like see that. I, recall, I, I did see that article. Yes. Yeah, and I and I'd asked him. I mean, is there concern or fear that? 
you know, you could have a, a setback to the point where you're, you could have, a, you know, a, another surgery this season that would prevent you from playing most of the season. And I don't think, at least from what he has been told from the doctors, that there isn't any immediate concern. Hopefully there's no concern. The doctors don't think there is. But uh, there isn't any kind of concern where he's going to pop up one day on, uh, you know, on the injury report or we're going to have Todd Bowles make some kind of announcement that he's out for the year. So I, I think medically he's fine. He's sound. They took a, a smart, cautious approach with him in the off season, uh, avoiding uh, contact, uh, avoiding a helmet really for most of this off season. But I think he'll be ready to go in training camp. I'm really excited to see what he can do in this offense. Uh, and he's going to be fresh, of course, not having played uh, in a year. And to me, Jermaine Kurse, He's an interesting player because he's rock solid, uh, a great you know veteran leader, a smart player. Uh, he's not going to you know have a 1,500-yard season. I don't think he's that type of player, but he offers a lot, a lot of intangibles, things that uh, fans probably will never see, but that are, that are invaluable in terms of uh, having a, a cohesive team and a cohesive unit. But more than that, the guy can still play, and he's still young. He's not a you know a, a 33, 34 year old player, and he was mm-hmm. you know, very underutilized in Seattle. So he's a good player. He's a good option. Uh, you know, Hanson, if he can kind of take what some of us have seen in this off season, and again, you, you've got to have a prerequisite here and say that look, you know, he, he's not in shoulder pads here; it's in shorts. But he has looked like a starting caliber receiver, an every down starting caliber receiver in the NFL in the off season. And whatever that's worth, I don't know what it's worth. I want to see it translate consistently on the field when it matters, and you'll get a, a good indication when the preseason game starts. And you, look, you saw a few flashes last year. I think he only had nine catches, if memory serves. So he didn't really, you know, get that much work. But you saw a few moments last year in which you thought, wow, this guy's got some talent, and, and you've seen a lot more of that in this off season in OTAs and minicamp. I'm pretty excited about him. You know, I'm not a fan. I'm a reporter. I'm supposed to be unbiased, and I do my best to do that. But I think he's got a lot of ability, and I think that used properly, uh, I I think he can make a valuable contribution. What I thought was most interesting about how the team views him is what uh, the wide receivers coach said uh, at the end of minicamp, which is that he really needs to get a little bit more physical at the line of scrimmage in tight spaces. So in the red area, in the goal line area, if he can kind of win those one-on-one battles in those tight, congested spaces, uh, he can really get more playing time. He can get himself on the field more often because he's got great hands. I mean, that's obvious, and that's not something that should surprise a lot of people. He's always had great hands. And so I'm excited to see what he does in his second season. I don't want to write off our Darius Stewart. Uh, you know, I've been told from people inside the building that you know, they were a little underwhelmed by him, uh, not only last year, and the numbers speak for themselves, he was really just used right as a, uh, a jet sweep guy, uh, you know, getting handoffs. Mm-hmm. So I don't think John Morton particularly used him that well, and I don't think he really made that many splash plays uh, in the off season. but uh, look, the guy's a, a premium draft pick. He's not going anywhere, uh, you know, in a vacuum. If he were a sixth or seventh round draft pick, would he be in jeopardy of being cut? Perhaps, but again, uh, Mike McCagney is not going to do that. He's going to stick around for at least another year, and we'll see what he does when camp and, and more importantly, training camp. Uh, I'm sorry, more importantly, preseason begins. But you know, when you look at these guys, the two guys that I'm really excited to see uh, are Quincy Anumwa and, and Hanson because I really think and I got a gut feeling about Hanson. I think he could be a guy that could be a you know a, a long jet uh, jet for you know quite some time. Uh, just given what I've heard, what people have told me, and what my eyes have seen this uh, this spring. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Ardarius Stewart because that that was going to be my next question, only because in talking about the depth in that receiver room and the fact that Hanson, apparent, you know, you look at the way things unfolded last season, he he, he Chad Hanson jumped Ardarius Stewart on the depth chart, and then having a strong camp, and you look at the numbers and you say, well, Terrell Pryor, Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, Quincy Inunua, Chad Hanson, like how safe is Ardarius Stewart? And and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. He, he's he was chosen early enough in the draft that I think it gives him a little bit of room to work with, but I, I think he, he's pretty far down in the pecking order right now. Um, but really, the the key point that I think a lot of people were confused um, in the way the Jets used him this past season, because when you looked at what he did in college and then you looked at how the Jets used him, it, it really was, you're right, I mean, he, he was consistently using on, you know, end rounds, jet sweeps, that type of stuff where you wanted to see him being a, a physical receiver a little bit, you know, a little bit further down the field. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds for him this year. But um, just wanted to throw a few a few names at you, Manish, for, for some quick thoughts on, you know, this offseason it's been so much about Darnold and Bridgewater, the quarterbacks, and, and you know, the need to, to fix the O-line, which I get. But uh, just a, a few names we don't hear every day, uh, but you know they, they kind of surface now and then, and, and you wonder where the team, where they stand uh, in the eyes of the team, or whether or not they they have a legitimate chance to stick. And we know it's early; it's July. But look, we still want to talk football. We have to wait and see how these things unfold. But uh, just a few names to get your thoughts, and then we'll let you go. And thanks again, as, as I said, Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News joining us on Jet Nation Radio. Um, Cornerback Rashard Robinson. Jets gave up a pick for him last year. He didn't get on the field for his first three, four weeks with the team. They put him out there, and he gets smoked by one of the fastest receivers in the NFL, and then he disappears again. Uh, this guy's physical attributes are through the roof. There's no denying he's a you know a physical freak. Started the year as the starter for the 49ers, uh, but really just played one game and and did not look good at all. Is this a guy who who may not make this roster? Yeah, I think he's on the bubble. Uh, that That's a fair assessment, and I, I, I don't think it was a good trade. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. They gave up a, a fifth-rounder for him. He does have skill. Uh, the, the example that you brought up is, is a funny one because, yeah, Tyreek Hill torched him, right? And I remember after that game, or maybe a couple of days later, uh, I was talking to him. Maybe he said this elsewhere as well, but I, I remember him saying that he didn't realize how fast Tyreek Hill was, which is – on the surface, kind of funny because everybody knows how fast Tyree Kill is. And I did a little mm-hmm. bit of research. He actually faced Tyree Kill in the preseason, <laughs> so he he had the game speed. He had experience uh, being right. on the field and, and covering Tyree Kill. So maybe that was an excuse more than anything else. Uh, yeah, look, he is a talented player. He does have skill. There was a reason why the Niners took him when they did. There was also a reason why they gave up on him. There's some off-the-field issues and maturity, I think, more than anything, maturity issues that uh, need to be corrected if he's really going to have any kind of place in this league. He's an extremely confident player, and, you know, you probably think, well, you know what, most NFL players are confident, especially cornerbacks. They need to be confident because if they're not and they have a fragile psyche, they're going to you know, crawl into a shell every time they get burned. But this guy has, when I say he's got a lot of self-confidence, I mean he views himself as one of the best cornerbacks you know, in all of football, which maybe you need to have that mindset. I don't know. You know I think he's a well-intentioned guy you know, just from my limited exposure to him and talking to him. But uh, I don't think the Jets made a – smart decision giving up a fifth-round pick, even though it's only a fifth-round pick. Uh, you know, I mean, these fifth-round picks, the Jets 
get to ultimately pan out, not very many. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. But he's going to have to show something in, in the preseason. Uh, when I think of him this offseason, I remember one pass breakup that he had. It was a really good one. I think he was actually on Chad Hansen. Not quite sure. But I remember he had you know, one standout play uh, over this offseason. But he's going to have to prove that he belongs just because the draft just traded for him last year and gave him a fifth rounder doesn't guarantee him anything. And, and if he's going to be outplayed during the preseason, then he won't be on this team when uh, the regular season rolls around. All right, so another name, a guy who didn't didn't seem to feel the whole lot last year, um, not extensively anyway, got a snap here and there, but of course stepped in in week 17 when Austin Safarian Jenkins went down and looked pretty good. Converted wide receiver, uh, Neil Sterling, who the Jets signed, waived, and then re-signed during the, during the course of last season. A local kid who, you know, looks to have some pretty decent receiving skills. The Jets don't have any real established tight ends on the roster. Clive Walford would be the closest thing to that. But they do have some guys that they like. Um, you know, of course, you have Herndon, uh, who, they, who they took this year, and Leggett, who they took last year. But does Sterling have a chance to stick? Because, I, honestly, from what little I've seen from the guy, I, I kind of like him. Yeah, he, you know, he's actually had a really good off season, or at least a really good off season. whenever the reporters are there. So, I mean, maybe he's timely, and he's making some good plays when, when everyone's out there. I'm not there. Uh, every practice, but uh, he, he, you know, he, he has made some 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 standout plays in OTAs. I don't want to discount that. Uh, I, I I do think that he's got a chance to make the roster. But when you look at the tight ends, Jordan Leggett's going to be on this team. Chris Herndon, who they love, and when I say, I mean, they love this guy. They think he's going to be an immediate contributor. Now we'll see how many games he actually plays. If he's going to be suspended because of his DUI mm-hmm. or whether the legal process. Uh, it drags on beyond this season. Maybe he doesn't serve a suspension until 2019. I don't know, but I know from a skill set standpoint, they are very excited about Chris Herndon. I think he's going to be the biggest difference maker among the tight end group. Uh, Eric Tomlinson is an important piece. He offers a different dimension, a lot of the dirty work stuff. If you remember last year, he even played a little fullback for, for a bit. So he offers value. I know that Todd Bowles, really likes what he has in Tomlinson, but just from a pure pass-catching standpoint, if you look at these guys, Jordan Leggett, who has also had a you know a pretty solid offseason, uh, and Chris Herndon and Tomlinson and, and Sterling and, and Walford, who I think is going to be you know, on, the, on the outside looking in, even though he does have the, the most experience, I think Herndon's the guy to keep an eye on, because this guy I think is, you know, he's not going to catch 50 balls this year, but I think he's a guy who could be a mainstay moving forward when you're talking about the next two, three, four years. This guy could be a really solid player in this offense. You know, he's, he's got a history at, at Miami of being really good after the catch. That's what you need in this offense. He's probably the best pass catcher, you know, among this group. And uh, again, I think that the future is really bright for him. So if you're looking for a tight end to keep an eye on when the real bullets are flying to make some kind of solid contribution in 2018, I think it's going to be the rookie. And I, I do like, you know, he's not, he's not the blocker Tomlinson is, but he can, he can block, he, he, he can hold his own, or at least it looks like he can. And he's not, he's not the liability that the Jets have had at tight end um, in recent years when it comes to blocking where they either have to pull the guy off the field or they know he's going to be a liability if they run the ball to his side. Herndon looks like he'll be a guy who won't who won't present that issue, which is nice. So just a couple more names. What a couple names that have been uh, folks have tweeted at me asking uh, asking what I'm hearing. But in all reality, these guys aren't because of the nature of OTAs and 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 these training camps. You don't hear a lot about these guys. But 
one name that comes up a lot. Any thoughts on Antonio Garcia? He's an interesting case, right? I mean, really interesting case, because how often do you see Bill Belichick give up uh, on a premium draft pick uh, without ever actually seeing him play in a game? And clearly the Patriots thought that he had skill. They would not have given up a, a third and a fourth rounder to, to move up 11 spots, I believe it was, in the third round. And they gave they basically gave away a fourth rounder just to move up 11 spots to get this kid in the third round. And he played at a, you know, a smaller level of competition, a lesser level of competition at Troy. I believe in his senior year he didn't allow any kind of pressure in 900 offensive snaps, which you know, just I believe that's correct. Yeah, that's amazing on the surface. I mean, you have to, again, uh, take into account the level of competition. Uh, I'm not sure about Garcia because his strengths really suit what Rick Dennison wants to do with this offensive line. I mean, this is a guy who's extremely agile. He's got great lateral quickness. Uh, what concerns me, uh, in addition to the health, and we'll get to the health in a second, but from a football standpoint, I don't know if he can maintain a 300-pound frame. He, When I spoke to him last month, he said he was about 290. Uh, he was about 302 at the Combine in 2017. So he's about 12 pounds lighter than he was at the Combine. So can he get from 290 to 300? Absolutely. I mean, that's really not that difficult uh, for those guys. The The question is, can he maintain that? throughout the season because when you look at him and again they're not in pads but when you look at him in OTAs and in shorts and a t-shirt he does not look like a left tackle he looks like a tight end he he does not look like he's got the girth to be able to to deal with uh, you know elite pass rushers or solid pass rushers in this league but again if you look at Rick Dennison and his background in Denver for example when you think of Denver's heyday and their offensive line what do you think of you think of smaller quicker guys in that zone blocking outside zone scheme so you don't necessarily have to be huge now you can still be huge and nimble so uh, you know, I'm a little I mean I'm a little confused about whether you know he's got the size to to be a player in this league uh, and then I, I look at the why I mean, why did uh, not only Bill Belichick, but Dante Skarnecchia, who's the most respected offensive line coach in the mm-hmm. league. Why did they give up on this kid? Uh, was it? It's not about ability, I don't think, because they didn't see enough of him. He only had a few training camp practices last year before mm-hmm. he had those blood clots, and then they put him on the uh, the non-football injury list, illness list, and then they didn't really give him an opportunity in training camp this year. That's, I mean, they got rid of him. They got rid of him for a reason, and I think that reason, I'm fairly confident that reason, is that they don't believe that he can be healthy. I think the bigger concern is, uh, is he jeopardizing his own health by being out there? Because the medications that the Patriots doctors put him on last year really prevented him from doing any kind of football activities, any kind of real contact. So I don't know if this could flare up again, because when I spoke to him a month ago, he said it was completely unexpected. He had no history of blood clots at any point in his life. And then in his early 20s for this to happen, that's not something to be taken lightly. And I'm fairly certain that the Patriots medical staff thought it was a medical risk to have him on the field, which is interesting to me because clearly the Jets you know, gave him uh, – you know, gave him the green light to to be out there and practice, and and you know, you you have to ask just as a objective observer, forget about being a, a media member or a fan, just looking at this objectively, you've got one group of doctors, one staff that says it's not safe for him to be out here, uh, and there's another staff that says 
it is safe for him to be up there. I mean, I, I don't know what the right answer is, and I don't know what his long-term future in the league is. Maybe he plays the next 10 years and doesn't have any kind of reoccurrence, uh, or maybe not. You know, I'd spoken to a couple doctors who had not treated Garcia, but a couple doctors who had dealt with people who had these blood clots in their lungs, and both doctors, again, without seeing him specifically, were leaning toward the Patriots' side here and thought that it would be a risk and perhaps a risk that neither the player nor the team should take by having him play. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. You know, for his sake, clearly I hope he does the right thing for him, uh, you know, and his health moving forward. But I, I, you know, I can't discount the fact that the New England Patriots, less than a year or about a year after moving up in the draft in the third round to draft this kid gave up on him so quickly without ever seeing him play he doesn't have any off-field concerns there's no issues with that otherwise it'd be understandable but you know he's clean off the field uh the big question is his health and they clearly thought it was not worth the risk to keep him on the roster and that gives me some pause for concern yeah because as much as we hear or you know as we've heard throughout the years how bill belichick is willing to cut guys you know cut his own draft pick sooner than most GMs would if they're not performing. But as you say, to cut him before the start of year two, before seeing him on the field, it, it probably does point to the medical. And I, I could be wrong, but I thought, and, and maybe it's a, maybe it's just a, a legal thing, I, I thought I saw that the Patriots did clear him days before releasing him. Um, maybe maybe I, that's so they don't have to reach a, an injury settlement or something along those lines. Because um, to clear yeah, him, and I, I could be reason. wrong on that, but I'm – I know Sorry, that he, 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 no, he participated in the OTAs, uh, or maybe it was the phase one where it was just basically lifting weights. Uh, it was early. Uh, yeah, I right. don't know the details uh, of that, but again, if they thought that he was not going to be uh, har- or potentially harming himself or putting himself at risk, then I can't imagine why they would not keep him on the roster. It doesn't behoove them to at least keep him on the roster. This is a guy who they thought, when they drafted him, would be the heir apparent to Nate Solder, and for him to not even play in a preseason game without, yeah. again, any legal issues or any you know personal issues, to me, you know, again, maybe maybe I'm wrong here, but my gut feeling tells me that the Patriots were, you know, probably in the right, uh, you know, in not taking that chance, not only for themselves but more importantly for the player. Yeah, they, I, I would say that they're probably erring on the side of caution. The Jets team doctors were comfortable with it, but Manish. Two more quick names. One, two names that, uh, to be to be completely honest, I would I would guess most Jets fans won't even recognize. But it's a couple of guys that piqued my curiosity. One guy they kept on the roster last year is a converted. I believe he played wide receiver in college. Um, that they moved to linebacker and Obam Guacham, former Saint, played a couple snaps <laughs> late in the year. We we, right. we know the Jets have had this sort of glaring hole at outside linebacker for forever, and Guacham has some some good physical traits. Um, but really, I mean, he's as raw as raw can be, or at least he was coming into the league as he hadn't even played linebacker. But the other name I want to throw at you because in reading, you know, as most Jets fans do, I follow all the all the beat writers and the all the different sites to get the updates on camp. But if I'm not mistaken, you are the only person who I saw, um, and on multiple occasions actually, you mentioned undrafted free agent linebacker Anthony Wint. So. Tell me what you saw in Anthony Wint that you liked, and is there any reason at all to believe Obum Guachem sticks on the roster again this year? Well, with Guachem, look, they throw as many darts as they can on the edge pass rusher, outside linebacker 
dartboard because they don't really have a definitive guy. And and even if you look at the roster right now, you know you've got uh, obviously Jordan Jenkins and Dylan Donahue, uh, Josh Martin, who I thought did a pretty solid job last year for really mm-hmm. being only a a special teams player primarily in his career. Uh, Brandon Copeland's another guy whose background is special teams, but uh, you know I thought he did a couple good things early in the off season program. So. You know, that that job opposite of Jordan Jenkins, assuming that Jordan Jenkins is healthy, and I'm not sure you can make that assumption because he is dealing with a shoulder issue, and we'll see how healthy he is when training camp actually begins because if you remember, he didn't take part in any kind of team activities this offseason. So that bears watching. So watch him. You know, let, Let's see what happens in the preseason. I can't definitively t- tell you if he's going to make the roster or not. But uh, Anthony Wynn is an, easy, is an interesting guy because you know, the one thing that popped out to everybody at rookie minicamp was the – the, the sheer volume of tryout players that they had. They had 45 guys who were tryout players, which was funny to me because you had Sam Darnold out there surrounded by a bunch of guys who probably aren't going to be in the NFL this year for that rookie minicamp, I should say. So, uh, you know, I had asked around uh, about you know, who stood out among those tryout players, and you know, I was told that uh, the Jets really loved this kid, Anthony Wint. And I had never heard of Anthony, Anthony Wint, Florida International, right? Uh, and then you look at the measurables, He's really undersized for for what they want him to be a quote unquote inside linebacker, six foot. I think he's about two twenty five somewhere in that neighborhood. You know, so he's you know typically inside linebackers are a good twenty twenty five pounds heavier. So he is undersized for for that role. And he had a, he had a really good college career. I mean, that's, that's what I can tell you. Uh, I, I don't know where he fits. Uh, I don't think he makes the you know the active roster can you know can they cut him have him clear waivers and bring him on the practice squad i think that might be his ultimate fate assuming that he continues to impress the coaches which he did uh in this offseason if he does that then i think there's there's a place for him because when you look at the inside linebacker spot you got Darren Lee Avery Williamson uh Kevin Pierre Lewis who we we didn't even talk about who i think was a sneaky good acquisition for them and a guy who really made plays this offseason and a guy who i think is going to have a very distinct role in passing downs and I think he'll be an extremely effective player for them. Uh, and they also have Kevin Minter, a veteran guy who played a couple years under Todd Bowles in Arizona. So, you know, I, I don't think there's a place for Wint uh, on the on the active roster. Um, you know, maybe he just plays lights out and, and earns a spot. I, I think ultimately he's going to wind up on the practice squad if he does impress them this offseason. But uh, an interesting guy, small school, really undersized, but uh, clearly – Bowles and that defensive staff saw something in him to to sign him after that rookie minicamp because he came in with you know no promises as a tryout guy and and opened enough eyes and had a lot of competition and was one of a couple undrafted rookies to to get signed. All right, Manish, that's great stuff. Uh, agree with Pierre Louis. I looked at I watched him on some All 22 after he was signed. He he made some plays in the middle of that KC defense and he he didn't get a ton of reps, but when he was in there he he did some things that uh. He anticipated well, and I thought he was quick getting through the gaps when he saw something developing. So he's a guy who could who could uh, surprise some people because he's kind of viewed as a part-time special teamer, which he may be here again, but I think with the money they gave him, he'll see the field a little bit more than people expect. But, uh, again, thank you so much for your time, Anish Mehta of the New York Daily News, for uh, for giving us a, a nice chunk of time with, with the show tonight, answering all of our questions. And, uh, listen, Manish, uh, camp's a couple weeks away. Enjoy your last couple weeks off. And um, <laughs> I will. we'll see you out at Florham Park in a few weeks. Thanks. I appreciate it. And just one last thing about Pierre uh, Lewis. Uh, or is it sure. Luis? Is it Luis? Uh, I, I probably should get that right. Uh, one of the things that's important, uh, and I think uh, you know, most teams subscribe to this notion, uh, 
but a lot of times, you know, fans might not get get this, but you don't necessarily have to sign the biggest free agent names. You've got to sign the players who have a skill set that fit what you want to do. So, so Pierre Lewis, you know, you know, not really a coveted guy, but I think he has a skill set that Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers saw, uh, where they feel that he can be an upgrade from what they had a year ago. And even though you know, he isn't going to light it up statistically, if you sign the right players in free agency, and that's the key. It's not necessarily the high-profile guys, although usually the high-profile guys have a lot of skill set, of course. But if you sign the right players to fit what you want to do offensively and defensively in a specific role, even if it's you know 50%, 40%, 30% of the snaps, whatever it may be, if you hit the nail on the head with those guys, that's how you improve as a team. That's a hidden way to get better without having a lot of splash names added, even though, again, I think every coach would like to have the, you know, the big high-priced guys. But if you want to get smart, make smart decisions at an affordable price, guys like Pierre Lewis, and again, I just got a feeling from you know, what I've been told and what I've seen, you know, that's a signing I think is going to pay dividends for the Jets in 2018. Great stuff, Manish. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. Take care. And that was Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. And, man, that was quite a run. Uh, appreciate all that time he gave us. Covered a ton of topics, a ton of players. And uh, nice to have him on the show. We had him on not long after Todd Bowles was hired. And uh, good stuff from him. And really some interesting notes on, uh, you know, I, I kind of liked the opportunity to, to, to speak to some of these reporters because, let's face it, when they're, when they're doing their thing, um, the the bulk of their time is, is taken up with the big names, the quarterbacks that, you know, the, the early draft picks, and you don't hear people, you, you don't, you don't get a lot of insight. You don't get a, a long form conversation type of thing about a guy like Antonio Garcia or a guy like Neil Sterling. So thanks to him on that. And we do have a caller on the line. I believe this is going to be rich in North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, rich, is that you? Hey, Glenn, is that you, man? It certainly is. How are we doing, buddy? Hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, doing great, again, thanks. Again, thanks uh, for, you know, a couple of years ago there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Rich, Rich is a regular on Jet Nation, and he and I uh, had the opportunity to meet up a few years back. He, Him and his sons were coming out to a Jets game, and I was living in the local area, and we carpooled out there. And then we met up for lunch a couple of years later out in uh, North Carolina when I did a road trip with the wife and kids. But yep. uh, what's going on tonight, Rich? Yeah, I was just going to ask. Uh, you can you can ask me because you've probably you can answer me because you probably talked to them uh, some of the beat writers. Uh, it's my old you know Steve Young says this is the only way a quarterback succeeds. Question: Young is on record as saying the two most important things to uh, uh, succeed in the NFL is is being able to get through three or four progressions quickly and fast as a quarterback, and the other thing is, you know, that three- to four-yard circle that's right behind the center that a quarterback moves up one-and-a-half steps, whether at a 45-degree angle, uh, you know, 70-degree angle, whatever. They manipulate in that to buy him an extra click, like Roethlisberger is really good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and forget about, you know, McCown, but as far as Darnold and uh, – Bridgewater, have you heard anything? Have you seen anything? It sounds like McCown likes what he sees with uh, Darnold, but my main thing is is what, what are they seeing with 
the uh, the progressions? Are they getting just a one or two, like we saw with some of the past duds we've had before, or are we getting to three and four progressions quickly and correctly? That's the most important thing. Are they using that three and four yard circle, which Brady uses brilliantly? You know, buys you that half click to get that fourth progression off, which is always wide open by then. And uh, the other thing is, are we seeing the quarterbacks, and you know, you and I talked about this in the car, are, are, are they leading the wide receivers and the running backs so they can get that yak? And for those who don't know, that's yards after catch, you know, which can make or break a team season. If you have a quarterback throwing at the guy and not leading him, it makes a difference between a two-yard gain and an eight-yard gain, as you well know. Well, I'll tell you what, Rich. Uh, you, you bring up a great point, and and it's so right. Uh, I think as Jets fans, we uh, we've spent so many years watching these mediocre quarterbacks, even when they've played well. Whether it was a Ryan Fitzpatrick or a Mark Sanchez when he had his, his short stretches, Geno Smith. So mm-hmm. frequently, it was on that first or second read. And, uh, you know, part of that had to do with poor offensive line play. But in the case of a guy like Sanchez, early on anyway, he consistently had fantastic uh, protection. You know, look at that rookie year. Mm -hmm. People say give him a break. He was a rookie. Listen, to me, that rookie year, he was a a top ten pick playing behind the best offensive line in the NFL, the best defense behind him, and and the best running game in the NFL, and he threw 12 touchdowns. I mean, to 20 interceptions. So he, he gets far too much credit. I think that it's frustrating, isn't it? You watch other teams and you see quarterbacks do all these things that you almost forget are possible if you spend too much time watching the Jets. And yeah. I think the uh, your second point there is, is it, I've been saying it for years, that the ability to hit a guy in stride, yep. it's just, it's like, you even when you go back to when Sanchez played well and Gino had his moments, so often, even when they had a good game, you would just consistently see receivers having to stop their route or to come mm-hmm. back to the ball, and so infrequently are they just hit in stride where they can make a play with the ball in their hands, and then you have to watch Tom Brady take the ball and do it on every single throw, every just consistently throw. hitting guys and giving them an opportunity, putting the ball yep. where only they can get it, where their momentum is going forward, and then you go back to our guys, and it's just yep. you know guys having to stop short, break back. So I, I in, in regards to Darnold so far in camp, yeah. I I wish I could remember the 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 reporter that I got it from, but I did I did hear that that was one skill that he was showing early on, and it was you know when you read it that that kind of you get that that light bulb that he, moment that he was getting like, the three three and four progressions you're saying. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm talking about leading leading receivers, oh, um, hitting guys okay, in stride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the problem right now with with talking about whether or not guys are going through progressions, and this is something you know, having been to some, you know, having had the opportunity to cover training camp the last couple of years, yeah, they're, they're um, and you see it up close. Stuff, when yeah. you have these non-contact days and non-padded yeah. days, yeah. which yeah. a lot of these are. The quarterbacks are going through the progressions, but a lot of times it's because they're getting that extra time because they know they can't be hit. They've got the red jersey on, and they may let the play go a second, second and a half longer than it would have gone um, right. if it were an actual play. At so this it, point, it's, it's the question it's, it's of whether they get through it fast at this time of year, right? You know, to see exactly. if they got it in their brain, you know, it, the playbook. It, people don't yeah, realize it, that even if you don't score a touchdown. To People don't realize, even if you don't score a touchdown, if you lead the guy f- for yak, 
you, instead of punting, you might kick a field goal, and that could be the game. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, it, listen, it's it, it's a game of inches, and and yep. sometimes it's just picking up that yard here and there that you know the difference between you know yep. second and and long or second and manageable, third and long, third and manageable. Which the example changes, I you know, use. Gives you a, the example I use is last year. You get a coaches who think this stuff. What happened on the first gosh darn week of the season when they made the new kickoff rule? Everybody's booming in the end zone. It's one guy named Bill Belichick who taught yep. his kickers in the off season to kick to the two kick yard the line. Three. You know, yep, two and three, and they're coming out to the eighteen and twenty. And Belichick mm-hmm. said those five, six extra yards could be the difference between yep. a, a punt or a field goal, and we win by two points. Absolutely, it's you know it's a, and I think it's something that you're going to see more teams doing. I hope. But then, of course, I think if that does happen, I think if you see more teams start doing what Belichick is doing, they'll mm-hmm. change the rule again because it's kind of the spirit of the rule was to encourage touchbacks and have right. fewer collisions on on kickoff. But so he found a back if door. Find a way around that, and you, you're getting <laughs> the same number of of big collisions than you than you did before the rule was implemented defeats the purpose of the rule, and we may see a change to that. But the but Patriots right. have to make Every, one less stop. That's that's the bottom line because they're seven yards further back. Their defense has to make one less stop, which could result in a punt instead of a field goal because they're 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 doing what he's doing. And I just don't get why other teams aren't figuring this stuff out. Yeah, and how many times do we see games decided by a field goal or less? Absolutely, and that, you know those, those little things, on, and that's glass. why they say, yeah, that's why they say when you play the Pats, you you, you have to be almost perfect. Well, gonna, you know, we got to start thinking smart, too. we got yeah, to think smart, too. So, you know, but I like what I see. And as always, you know, you, you did a great job. I was listening for a while there. And, and uh, I'll let you go talk to other people. i got to head home before the traffic gets brutal. Um, All right. Thanks so much for listening. So, uh, again, much yeah, as always. And, and I'm, I'm planning on next summer uh, dr- uh, flying up for uh, – uh, the the camp, summer camp when it's open to the public. So we'll if you're there, we'll. Uh, I told the beat writers, some like Connor. And I told those guys I'd buy them lunch. So you're invited. Absolutely, I will be up there. I'll uh, I'll, okay. I'll send you the dates on. Uh, yeah, I'll, I, I'll send you the dates. We'll try to set something up, man. I appreciate that. You take care and my best uh, to your family. Same to yours, Rich. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. All right, that's Rich in North Carolina. As I said, avid Jets fan, uh, regular poster on JetNation.com. If you're not on the forums on JetNation.com, get on there. Um, he's a diehard guy. Had a chance to meet him once or twice, or twice, and uh, really, really diehard fan. And like like a lot of us, is very excited about the future of this team right now. And why shouldn't he be? Why shouldn't anybody be? Um, you know, as I've said before, there there are always those fans you're going to have that. Find a reason to be upset. Find a reason to be, you know, to, to focus on the negative and be miserable. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. But the, the bottom line is this. Uh, you know, as I said with Manish, you know, you, you talk, you talk about the Jets having a, a guy in Teddy Bridgewater who they may be able to trade for a pick. And you know, Manish of course said, you know, he, he wouldn't see a premium pick, maybe a third, fourth rounder. Um, I, I think that would all be dependent on how well Teddy Bridgewater plays. I think when you even even when looking at what you would have to pay Teddy Bridgewater after you trade for him, um, imagine you're the Jets. Imagine you don't have a Sam Darnold yet. Imagine this is the Jets of a few years ago when you knew Mark Sanchez was on his way out and you didn't have a bat you didn't have a backup plan. Imagine there's a twenty five, twenty six year old former first round pick who's coming off of an injury, um, who's been to the playoffs and 
and again, this is a hypothetical on Bridgewater, but say comes out and plays great, has a fantastic preseason, lights it up in week one and two. As a Jets fan, would you be upset if they gave up a second rounder to get a 26-year-old franchise quarterback and it meant you were going to have to pay him? Because, listen, that's, we, had, you know, we had this discussion with, with the Kirk Cousins situation. When I was fully on board with bringing him in and fans were upset because of the money he would command, it's like, listen, do, do you want a franchise guy or not? It's, yes, it's nice. It's, it's, it's great. If, if Sam Darnold comes out and plays lights out or any young quarterback on a rookie deal and you get, you get those four years where you get them on the cheap and you save yourself really $60, $70, million, $80 million when you, when you grade performance versus salary for a guy performing at that level, I understand that. But the fact that you would have to pay a guy um, a premium shouldn't stop you from, from making that move. And like I said, we'll see. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying – Teddy Bridgewater absolutely will command a second or first round pick, but if I'm the Jets, I'm trying to get a two, and I'm I'm throwing in a stipulation if you make the playoffs or, you know, if you win a playoff game or something along those lines, and that two becomes a one, you know, uh, something like that. Because let's face it, uh, it's not very often the Jets are in position to, in a position where they have a quarterback that other teams covet, and that's exactly where they they're going to find themselves with Teddy Bridgewater or they may find themselves with Teddy Bridgewater. And, we, you know, we don't know if the knee is going to hold up. That's, that's the next big test for him. The, you know, he's passed the test in preseason. He's, he's, he's apparently looked like the Teddy Bridgewater of old in terms of his, his ability to, to move outside the pocket, throw the ball on the run, throw with accuracy. He's a guy who completed 65% of his passes a couple years ago. Um, you know, didn't have a great touchdown-interception ratio. Um, with 14 TDs, nine picks, I think. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, but again, he was a you know first, second year guy. So you're looking for that growth, and that's that's what a lot of fans were expecting from him. Coming into year three, a lot of people had the Vikings pegged to go to the playoffs again with him at quarterback. Then he has the injury, misses a couple years, and now he's back. And again, if he plays well and he plays well early, then. I, I, as I've said before, I think it's the one-year deal that puts the Jets in a spot where they have to deal him. And maybe they do have to take a fourth-rounder. Um, maybe they do have to take a third. But I, I wouldn't have a problem with any of that, to be honest. But if he's playing great and I'm the Jets, I'm going to start, I'm going to start asking for a two. You know, you test the waters, see what teams offer, and you go from there. But bottom line, I don't, I don't believe he'll be a Jet all season. The only way that happens is if he comes out not just playing well, but if, if he gets this team off to a, you know, he wins the starting job and they're sitting at three and one, and, he, you know, he's got eight, nine touchdowns to, to one or two picks, and he's just lighting it up to where you're looking at it and saying, you know, we're three and one, and if things keep going this way, we're going to the postseason. Then he hangs around. Um, I don't know that that happens because, again, I, I, don't, I don't know where we set the ceiling on, on the expectations from Teddy Bridgewater a lot of it's going to come down to this receiving core for whoever's under center. But, again, as we just talked about, a lot of talent on this roster. You know, and the Robbie Anderson thing that Manish brought up is an, inter- is an interesting point because if you listened a few weeks ago when we had Chad Cascadden on and I mentioned the receiving core and talked about the lack of a true number one, um, he kind of said he, he 100% see it that way. He, he looks at Robbie Anderson and sees a number one guy. And I get it kind of all depends on what you – what you expect in a number one guy. You know, some people may feel like you have to run the entire route tree and run it well, but at the same time, 
and this is what Manish alluded to, and I wish I had, I wish I had uh, taken more notes on this, but I, and put uh, really not even a matter of taking notes. If you watch the way teams played Robbie Anderson last year, there was plenty of times where he was double teamed, and I think he is a guy. I mean, he led the NFL in touchdowns of over 40 yards last season. Nobody in the NFL had more than he did, and that's with you know you have to consider that number may have been higher if uh, if Josh McCown doesn't go down with an injury. So it could have been an even bigger year for Robbie Anderson. So if you have a guy who is good enough to be the top receiver in the NFL on touchdown passes of over 40 yards, to me, that's a guy that's going to command double teams consistently. And the reason I the reason I like that, as I've said before, is because of this depth, because of having Terrell Pryor on the opposite side. Terrell Pryor, man, he's he's got to stay healthy. And if he does, that's that's two guys that, that who's just their physical attributes. You got to know where they are, and the fact that they've played well in the past. You know, these aren't just tall, fast guys who are coming in and you hope they can play. This isn't like we've got Stephen Hill and we we're going to find out if he can play football. This is Robbie Anderson and Terrell Pryor. Not you know we're not talking about multi-time Pro Bowlers, but we are talking about guys who have played well enough that that they've proven they can play in this league. And if they think that they can, you know, if the Jets think they can get them on the field together, then then why not? Why not? Why not use those guys to to run opposing DBs deep down the field, and then work work the underneath stuff with Curse with Anunwa, you know, get Quincy Anunwa ahead of steam, and and you know that's something I've I've brought up a few times in the show. Manish mentioned it. Quincy Anunwa's ability to run with the ball in a, in a West Coast offense. You know, I've I've regularly pointed to. Some of the plays we've seen from Quincy Noon, whether it was a couple of years ago against the Browns, there was the the Week 17 win against the Patriots a few years ago, the the big play that set up the, the Eric Decker touchdown. There are plenty of examples on film of of seeing what Quincy Noon can do with the ball in his hands, and imagine him now doing it with a couple of receivers bringing safeties and corners deep down the field, where he's going to have plenty of room to work with underneath, and it's it's exciting, you know. It's I I, I try to be. I try to be objective and keep it real and, and be honest and not not let uh, not not get too excited. I, I probably do err on the side of positive. You know, I, I give benefit of the doubt more than some folks might, but uh, I try not to delude myself in, into thinking these players are something they aren't. And I think that from what we've seen from these guys, they they have the ability to be fantastic playmakers. And again, the stuff that would open underneath Chad Hansen. Um, such an interesting case, such an interesting story. Um, when you hear about the way he's playing early on, and and one thing I meant to mention during the interview with Manish was the um, he talked about how you know Chad Hansen only had nine catches, which he did. He, we didn't have a huge sample size. But go back and watch that game against the Saints and that catch he makes against uh, Marshawn Lattimore down the left sideline. Um, I mean, he goes up and gets it, all hands, strong hands, pulls it down. Um, fingertip grab and just a fantastic catch. It's in one of those catches you look at and go, all right, if, if this guy has this type of skill set and if he's, he's able to get up and pull the ball down in tight coverage, you know, and, and he's going to be your third, fourth, fifth option, you know, if he's able to go up and make plays against a guy like Lattimore, what's he going to be able to do when he's when he's matched up against another team's third or fourth corner? You know, he's a guy who might be able to make plays and have himself a big season. And we've talked about that. Uh, you know, it's been talked about quite a bit this off season. 
in all reality between uh you know between fans and we, we've seen some of the beat writers talk about it it's uh i think it's a, a really good possibility that he has himself an excellent year and it's, it's the sky's the limit for that guy you know our darius stewart not you know not not a not an easy guy to grade based on how he performed last year because as we said and and this is the case of Austin Safarian Jenkins as well. As critical as I've been of him, um, and I think that's more of a reaction to people um, telling me that the Jets just lost the greatest tight end the world has ever known. Um, his seven yards per catch, I think that was a product of the offense, and I think you'll see bigger numbers from him in Atlanta next year. But he's gone, and now now it's now you have a guy like Herndon, you have a guy like Leggett, you have a guy like Sterling who can stretch the field a little bit. Tomlinson, as I've said, I think he's safe because he's, you know, in terms of all-around ability, I think he's the, the, the top of the depth chart right now. But I don't see how you look at this group and, and, and not feel like someone someone's going to emerge. There are enough guys on this depth chart with enough skills that, that someone's going to pan out. This isn't a bunch of undrafted free agent, sixth, seventh round, no-name, no-name guys. And Herndon, you have a guy who is – one of the best tight ends in the country in terms of making things happen with the ball in his hands after the catch. I guess as opposed to making things happen with the ball in his hand before the catch, which isn't, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. But again, a lot of a lot of players on this offense, you know, maybe you look at running back and it's not a dynamic group. Bilal Powell's definitely an underrated guy, but he's getting a little bit long in the tooth, so how long can he keep going? Isaiah Crowell shows good power, shows good balance. Um, doesn't have great speed though. He's not a four-four guy. He's not gonna. He's not gonna break off a bunch of fifty-yard runs, but you know, not many guys do. But he's uh, he's good in that mid-range. You know, he'll run out of gas, but he'll give you some. You know, if the blocking is there, he's gonna be a productive back. Um, Eli McGuire. Did I, I always feel? And I, I may have said this not long ago. I feel like he's a guy who plays faster than his speed would indicate, than his forty time would indicate, which I don't even have in front of me. But I know it wasn't. Uh, I know it wasn't a, a, a eye-popping 40, but it was definitely. But he definitely on film to me looks like a guy who, when he hits that top gear, he 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 can pull away from some people, and he he just didn't get the opportunity to show that as much as we would have liked last year because of that O line and as much as they struggled up front. So it wasn't an ideal situation for him, but either way, the the offense as a whole with with the improvement with bringing Spencer Long in improving that center spot, which was, you know, as bad as it gets. The blocking should be better up front. That should mean more, you know, it should mean uh, more big gains or just, just an all-around better run game. Combine that with the with the receivers and the depth there. Again, when, when your fourth, fifth guy is, uh, is Jermaine Curse or Quincy Inunua or Terrell Pryor, wherever you're lining them up, Wherever they they are in the in in the, the progressions, wherever they are, whoever the primary receivers are, however you want to stack it, the Jets are in position to to be able to, you know, as I've said, create a lot of mismatches, because there's going to be a lot of a lot of teams that aren't going to be able to match up. They're not going to have they're not going to be four or five deep at DB the way the Jets should be four or five deep at wide receiver, and how many they carry is, you know, something we'll we'll find out in time. But, you know, as much talk as we've done about these receivers, and, you know, I, I do keep mentioning the same names, you kind of getting that, that 
cyclical mindset. But I think that another guy who really does, hasn't been getting enough attention, from myself included, um, when you talk about the, the playmakers on this roster, in in terms of you know guys who can guys who can make things happen, because let's face it, this that's something this this team has been missing forever. They haven't had a lot of guys who can uh, who can explode with the ball in their hands, um, or and and just and pull away and make these these big chunk plays. And you look at Charles Johnson, you know he's a guy we may have talked about very briefly this off season, um, and he does he becomes a bit of an afterthought because of the bigger names. But here's a guy who's six two and played played pretty well a few years ago with Teddy Bridgewater when uh, when they were both in Minnesota together. And he's another fast guy. He's I. I want to say he's a sub four four guy, uh, Grand Valley State product, six two two seventeen, and not not you know by no means a, a world beater, but again if you had a guy like him as your fifth sixth receiver, it, it's going to get interesting because there there are a lot of options at receiver this uh, this year for the Jets, and again you can only carry so many, and and when you talk about that and and talking about only being able to carry so many. I think the next uh, the next position up that really there's going to be some some notable battles is going to be at corner because you know you have to figure there's four guys who are locks you know Claiborne's not going anywhere Tremaine Johnson's not going anywhere Buster Screen like it or not isn't going anywhere and Perry Nickerson's going to make this roster that's four guys then you have Xavier Coleman who made the roster out of camp last year as an undrafted free agent you have Daryl Roberts who's been around for a couple of years. He's, he's done an admirable, admirable job. You know, he's a depth guy. He's not a great player, but you, you would expect him to be able to make the team. Uh, and then the guy we talked about earlier, Rashard Robinson, who, again, has, has not gotten it done on the field, but his physical attributes, his 40s, his verts are, are off the charts. He's among the elite in those categories, and he's a guy who was a starter for a couple of years with San Francisco before being let go. So he's played a little bit. And the Jets gave up a pick for him, so they clearly saw something they liked. Now, whether or not that continues, or if he, you know if he continues to do things that impress, that remains to be seen. But then, you know, beyond that, Derek Jones, another physical freak. We have a 42-inch vert, something, something insane like that last season. And uh, Jeremy Clark, another draft pick from last year. Justin Burris has been around for a couple years now. That's a that's a lot of guys. That's a lot of corn. When you got three, four guys, again, I would say four guys are locks to make this roster. But then there are five or six guys who are probably on just about equal footing. You know, it could be that Roberts is a guy who who has a bit of an upper hand because he 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 uh, because he's been on this roster for a couple of years. But I think between receivers, corners, there's going to be. Uh, there's going to be some battles, some some battles really worth watching, um, and out you know everyone's excited about the quarterback battles as they should, as they should be, but there are going to be some plenty of good battles elsewhere. Curious to see how the O line pans out because we've talked about that. We've talked about some of the lesser known guys, but let's face it, with James Carpenter only having one year left on his deal. Is he a guy that could get outplayed? You know, do you, do you do you hand that job to someone else who plays well, um, and maybe cut ties with Carpenter? Not and again, I, I I don't know why I feel like I have to say this every time. So, something in me when I when I say that I think a guy might get let go, 
but it's a guy who, as a person, I really like. And no, I'm not. I'm not hanging out with these guys, and I'm not pretending I do. But some of these guys, I get a little feedback from when I'm at camp, when I talk to people that work for the organization. And James Carpenter is a guy who I've spoken to several people about, and they they rave about him, rave about his character, um, his demeanor. So, you know, when I hear that type of stuff, those are the guys I root for. So I like James Carpenter a lot, and I think, you know, when he does move on from from the Jets, he's going to go somewhere where they're going to put him in a scheme where he fits, and he'll go back to being a damn good player. But, again, in this scheme, we've talked about it at great length. Um, it's, It's not a great fit for him. So is there the possibility he gets beat out this, this preseason? Who knows? You know, it remains to be seen. But um, if, you're, if you're kicking around the, uh, the idea, the thoughts about what, what could happen with this player and what could happen with this player, how might the depth chart pan out, um, and maybe there's some guys that, you know, maybe we brought up a couple names tonight, like an Obam Guachum or an Anthony Wint, who you're unfamiliar with. I don't blame you. It's, it's a 90-man roster. Not everybody's a big name, and it's been a long offseason. Um, pop over to JetNation.com. Take a look. We uh, posted an article yesterday, yesterday or today, today. Um, just called it Who's That Guy? Jets Training Camp Cheat Sheet. And it is a 1 through 90, top to bottom, every single guy in the 90-man roster with notes on every single player. Now, I'm not talking about a five-paragraph bio. We're talking about one to three, maybe four sentences, depending on the player. Um, but go over there and take a look. Um, many of them, many of the uh, the players have articles linked from earlier in the offseason where there was something maybe significant or noteworthy written about them and where they stand on the team right now. But uh, go over and take a look. Who's that guy? Jets training camp, cheat sheet, one through 90, every single guy on the roster at this moment. Um, including Sam Darnold, despite the fact he is technically not on the roster as he remains unsigned. Wouldn't say that's anything to worry about. That'll get done when it needs to get done. Uh, Reports are that it is because of offset language in the contract, which has been an issue in recent years with some top ten picks, most notably a couple years ago with Joey Bosa in San Diego. Um, And it's basically... The offset language, what it does is it allows players to double dip if their if their career if their first few years in the league doesn't work out and they get cut, they can still get some of that money and get paid by another team. Whereas the team wants it done in such a way that if they sign elsewhere, the money they get from the team <clears throat> from their new team, sorry, will offset the money by the amount that that team signs the player to. So that's the deal with offset language. That is why the Jets and Sam Darnold are reportedly still not have still not come to an agreement, but I would expect that to happen within a couple of days of training camp. Darnold will be in camp, and so will Jet Nation. Very excited, as I said earlier. Got official word from the Jets um, about 10 minutes after I bought my plane ticket, actually. I bought the ticket, had a good feeling. I said, this has definitely happened. We're getting there this year again. Uh, to continue trying to provide good content for you guys. And we appreciate you listening. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Miles Social. They handle all of your social media needs. If you are running a business, large, medium, small, and you're feeling overwhelmed, wearing too many hats, have too much to do, 
Check out Miles Social. They will handle all of your, your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter. They will help you optimize your social media presence and help you find out to get more customers through your doors and more money in your pockets. So thank you so much for joining us again tonight on Jet Nation Radio, Jets fans. And we look forward to joining you or to you joining us next week where we will go ahead and count down the top 20 players on the roster. And sadly, no Christian tonight. Christian Dyer sent me a message. He is swamped, but he hopes to be here next week. And I hope he can join us for a little while, do a little longer than usual. And hopefully Christian and I uh, do a little uh, top 20 Jets players with uh, as we, by then, we'll be just a couple weeks away from camp. Have a great night, Jets fans, and we will catch you next week.